0: Get on up and get on down, it's time for another Wendell's World of Sports Production, so let's get funky as this brother right here begins to rap. Before the start of another episode that will explode with strong opinions and entertainment, let me present another Wendell's World of Sports Production. That is heaven sent. Wendell's World in Sports, a sports talk podcast presented in audio and video form to perform to the scorn of the haters. and entertainment creator like Pete Rock and C.L. smooth as I grew to the flavor of the podcast being so fully chocolate. So if you have plans to beat me, please just go ahead and stop it. The opposition, I'll lambaste them, then debase them, disgrace them. More futile than someone trying to guard Jason Tatum. Giving the competition hurts like Jalen. I'll be wailing and assailing any clown that tried to quote my show verbatim. If you try to test me, I'll be a global champion like the guilt, Leo the (laughs) Messi, laughing at the notion that you thought taking me down would be a breeze like Drew, not having a clue that you've come into a gunfight with a butter knife and rolling the dice. Just cost you your broadcasting life. Listen to my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or iHeart as I listen and tear apart the fabric of the conventional, nonsensical, ripping to shreds the threads of stale, plain, tame, lame, flatline podcasts that are being left way behind. So take this loss to your podcasting boss because going up against me, the call of my fatal verbal blow would be best described by the legend, good old JR, Jib Ross. <laughs> Wendell's World of Sports, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could ever listen to.
1: Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please?
0: Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up.
1: Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel! A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. The looking for takes it in. Touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lin Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace.
0: Bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalamualaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good aben. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I get into what's happening in the world of sports, as you know, I gotta ask you, what's happening? What's going on, man? You doing everything that you need to do? to make your life, to make this world a better place to be, how are you doing so? How are you doing so? Are you doing so in terms of speaking with folks, learning from folks, listening to folks from a different race, different gender, different political background, different religion, if they love someone different, from the other side of the tracks, from the other side of the world? Are you having conversations with anybody different from you, In terms of, again, race, religion, thoughts, thinkings. Are you having different types of conversations with different types of people so you can learn? Shut up, listen to them, and learn so that way you can pass along teachings of tolerance and empathy and sympathy and love and respect and devotion and that type of things to the younger generation so they can take the baton when we move on, whether we're going to heaven, hell, whatever you believe in. But whenever that happens, have you left this world a better place to be by doing so? I hope so. And number two, as always, man, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast on iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, wherever. Do me a favor. Download, subscribe, rate, review, follow, do what you need to do. But most importantly, out of everything, enjoy. The most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Yeah, that would be mine. Jackass. So do what you need to do in terms of doing that. If you could do that for me. If you could rate, if you could follow, if you could acknowledge, acknowledge me, then uh Wendell Wallace Jr. would be the happiest, will be the happiest human being on the face of the planet. Think of someone who might be the happiest human being on the face of the planet. It might be someone who's married to uh, Beyonce. It might be someone who's married to or hanging out or doing some things with the richest human being in the world. It might be someone who has all the greatest of money and happiness and fame and all that kind of stuff, the materialistic things in the world. You might think of them as being the happiest human beings of the world. You might think of someone who has the innermost peace of of whatever God they believe in. Believe me. Believe me. Just a like, a follow, A rate, a review, I will supersede that just by that small little gesture. I ain't lying, folks. I am not lying. A lot of things to get into and discuss today in the world of sports. Hey, man, the Super Bowl is set. Super Bowl 58. Yeah, Super Bowl 58 is now upon us. Rematch of the uh, Super Bowl from 2020, the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City football team. 58 of these bad boys, huh? Let me see here. Um, This year and a couple of months. Man, I'm getting older. um, I'm going to be 55 years old, which means the first time that I actually sat down and watched the Super Bowl was in 1976 between the Minnesota Vikings and the Oakland Raiders. I was seven years old. So we're speaking about now 58, 58 Super Bowls. So I have been privy to watch 51 of them, right? So out of the 51 since the one that I watched in 1976, I think I've only missed maybe two. I know I missed Buffalo and uh, Dallas. I know I missed the second uh, Super Bowl between Buffalo and Dallas because I had to work down in um, I had to work down in San Mateo. I was selling cards at that time. Shout out special dedication to my man Sam Bacolini. But uh, I was I was um, Sam Bacolini and Ephesus on oh Ephesus on oh man. Man, I wonder what that woman looks like now. But um, I was uh, selling cars that day. Yeah, it was a Sunday, selling cars that day, so I had to uh, miss the game. I was listening to it on the radio, but for the most part, I didn't watch the game, didn't really follow it, knowing that uh, Dallas was going to win anyway. But whether it be because of love, whether it be because of mainly from 1976 to when I moved out of my house in uh, 1988, watched the Super Bowl with my dad, and uh, after that, watched Super Bowls with my friends and... Got into the business and I watched Super Bowls because I wanted to watch it because of tradition and because of what I had to do for my for my job. So, yeah, I have I'm a Super Bowl watching veteran. So, um, yeah, I remember Sammy White. Jack Tatum taking the head off of Sammy White. I remember the catch John Stallworth made to clinch the uh, victory for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers over the uh, Los Angeles Rams. I remember Jack Youngblood playing with a broken leg and Vince Veragamo uh, playing quarterback for the uh, Rams. I remember the situation where Jim Plunkett came in and led the uh, Oakland Raiders to the uh, championship. I remember John Reagan's running over the uh, Miami Dolphins, the defensive back for the touchdown on fourth and one, which gave then the Washington Redskins their first, Championship and set up the team of the '80s, in which the then Redskins won in 1981, and then they came back a couple of years later after getting humiliated by the then Los Angeles uh, Raiders, 38 to nine. I remember the run by Marcus Allen. I remember the interception that Joe Theismann threw at the end of the first half. Man, I'm, I'm, so my memories of uh, the Super Bowls they remain crisp and they remain right there. I remember watching Doug Williams at at a at TMI tennessee military institute it was a prep school i remember watching the greatest football performance by a quarterback in nfl history doug williams at my washington then redskins beat the uh, denver broncos i remember watching that game in sweetwater tennessee i remember all of that stuff so yeah so if the super bowls remain fresh they remain crisp they remain something in terms of it's going to be a uh, it's gonna be a routine, it's gonna be a ritual that I'm gonna be doing until the day I die so, my whole thing is this, hey man, just let me know when the kickoff is going to happen, let me know when the ball is in the air and the game has started don't tell me when the broadcast starts, I'm not interested in when the broadcast starts I'm not interested in the hours leading up to the games where I don't know if the game's gonna be shown on CBS or Fox or ABC I don't know, and I'm not willing to sit there for four hours and watch them break it down and talk about all this stuff ad nauseum. I just want, j- just, just let me know, just let me know when that ball is in the air and the game's gonna start. I'm not gonna get too much into the nuts and bolts in terms of, well, let's Let's let's, let, let's let's go ahead and break it down position by position. And whose line and what offensive line is going to be able to hold up and what's going to be the keys to victory and all that kind of nonsense. I'm not going to be doing that this week. Just not going to be doing it. For this podcast, I am going to be talking about some of the storylines. But for the most part, I'll save the nuts and bolts and who's going to do this and which player is going to be more important and what does San Francisco need to do to win and what does Kansas City need to do to win and all this type. I'll I'll save all that for next week. Um, I understand why the Super Bowl is two weeks out. Why the NFL would do that. You want to make sure that all the players are rested and as healthy as possible. You also want to make sure that they have all the accommodations in terms of dealing with family and friends and tickets and all that type of stuff. You want to make sure that this week It's also used for that, to kind of get everything situated with family and friends going to the game and where they're going to be staying and what's going to be happening. And and for the coaches to uh, get a little extra time also to uh, break film and uh, break down film and come up with a game plan for uh, each team to uh, win the Super Bowl. So so I get all that. And number one, uh, for folks who are coming to Vegas, hey man, you know, I live here, so let's not be stupid. Folks from uh, San Francisco folks from Kansas City don't, don't don't be stupid don't be shooting nobody don't be robbing nobody San Francisco some of you folks who want to break into cars down there and do all that type of stupidity ruining one of my favorite cities of them all San Francisco for those who want to bring their criminal activities stay back in the Bay Area we don't want you stay in Hayward stay in San Mateo stay in Fremont stay in Daly City stay over there just, just, just go with stay in Foster City Oh man, did I love Foster City? (laughs) Just uh, stay over there because we don't want you. We don't need you. Leave our city in one place, please. It's already screwed up in terms of downtown after we had this ridiculous Formula One race where over the weekend of that race, it was supposed to generate billions of dollars. A, I don't know for who. B, I don't even know if that came to fruition. And see, I I haven't seen the fruits of that billion dollars that was supposed to be generated from the event. The roads out here still stink. There's still way too much construction. So I don't know. I still see a whole lot of homeless folks in places where there shouldn't be homeless folks. So I, I don't know exactly where that money is going to. I mean, I know where the money is going to. Folks who don't need the money. And I know where it's not going to be going to to social programs for folks who do need that money in terms of places to live, places to get help, mental health, homelessness, that type of thing. I know it ain't going there, but damn, the least that you could do is kind of rebuild the downtown area. If that could be something that you could do, it'd be nice. My point is, is that you come here, you're visiting the place where I live right now. Treat it with Respect. Go ahead, go down there, stay at the hotels, pay those exorbitant prices, lose all your money gambling. But just uh just, just just don't just don't be stupid. Just don't do what happened at the All-Star weekend in the NBA when they had the All-Star game down here. Please use some common sense. I still have to live here. Still looking to live here for I don't know, at least another, I don't know, 5 or 10 years. Who knows what the Lord has for me, but uh um you know, outside I'm thinking about living here maybe another five, ten years before moving on somewhere else. So, do me a favor. Leave, leave the place where I live the same way that you uh, l- l- you brought here, l- l- leave it in the same condition, crumbling. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So yeah, um, Super Bowl 58, man. Kansas City and, um, Kansas City and San Francisco, let me take here, let me see here, you know I'm taking a look at some of the teams or some of the players, that were, because it was a rematch from 2020. I'm quite sure that's going to add some sparkle and it's going to add some spice and it's going to add some minutes for folks breaking it down in terms of what did that mean for the team that they met four years ago. Well, for Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, defensive tackle, they were playing. Those are some of the prominent members that were playing in that Super Bowl. Uh, for the 49ers, George Kittle, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuels also appeared. In that Super Bowl, if you remember Kansas City won that game 31 to 20, launching, I guess you could say a dynasty or a possible dynasty or the closest thing to a dynasty. When you're speaking about this Kansas City football team, when you're speaking about the Patrick Mahomes era, era, the Andy Reid era for this for this present time in modern sports history and NFL history. So yeah, 31-20. to 20. I remember the game was close. I remember Jimmy G overthrowing, oh, I forgot who the wide receiver was, but he was open. Jimmy G overthrew him, and that paved the way for Kansas City to win the football game. But uh, some of the storylines that are going to be discussed for this week and next week leading up to the game, some of the things I like to uh, break down, a little a little bit of getting juicy with it, uh, for Kansas City, what does this victory mean for the legacy of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? Both separately and combined with a victory here. Because the victory over San Francisco, again, in this Super Bowl, would give Mahomes the third Super Bowl in the sixth full season as a starter. And before the age, I guess, is he 27 or 28? I think he's 28, right? He's 28? Yeah, he's 28 so years old. So, in six seasons, again, as the full-time starter for the Kansas City football team, Mahomes. would then have four Super Bowls, two conference championships. His two conference championship losses to Cincinnati and New England. He lost to Tom Brady in overtime when there was a bogus roughing. Was it roughing the passer? I know that there was a bogus penalty, which gave New England the opportunity to uh, send the game into overtime and win it. And then they lost at home in overtime to Joe Burrow and uh, Cincinnati. So both losses came in overtime. So really, when you think about it, Patrick Mahomes in his playoff history as a starter for the Kansas City football team, He's never lost a game in regulation. He's either going to win it or he's going to lose it in overtime. Ain't that something? So again, this is going to be something that I want to speak about. Um, we and I spoke about it last week on my podcast. I spoke about Patrick Mahomes being a generational great. I spoke about Patrick Mahomes in terms of what he means to the younger generation. I spoke about Patrick Mahomes for this generation. Mainly the age group, I would say between 12 and 19, 18, 19 years old, what he means when you're speaking about the development of them becoming sports fans, the development of them becoming sports fanatics, the development of them in, really, if you're speaking about that, a part of them that's growing when you speak about the cultivation of their love of sports. Starts with a Patrick Mahomes when you're speaking about the uh, NFL. Um, He is The younger generation... Magic Johnson for what, uh, you know, for, for, for those who love the game of football, for those who aspire to play football, for those in the younger generation who have dreams of playing in the NFL, who have dreams of playing in college, who have dreams of being the quarterback for their for their local high school football team, whether it be in rural West Virginia, whether it be in Western Ohio, whether it be in uh, Western Pennsylvania, whether it be in Texas, whether it be in California, whether it be in Oklahoma, whether it be in in regions or in or in towns or in counties where high school football is getting all the be-all. For those who want to be that quarterback, for those who want to be the big man on campus, for them who want to be the person that the, that the girls love and all that type of stuff and get the adulation and possibly move on to a higher degree of football playing, Patrick Mahomes, for a lot of folks, is the guy. They're the ones that are going to be wearing the number 15 jersey. Patrick Mahomes is going to be the guy who these kids are going to be putting posters on their wall. In fact, can you still buy posters? I have no idea. I know that when I was growing up, yeah, you put the posters of the Magic Johnson. Yeah, you put the George Iceman Gervin poster on your wall of him sitting in the uh, ice box and that type of thing. Yes, I know that we all had the Bruce Lee posters. So I don't even know if that's even a thing anymore with this young generation in terms of putting posters of the heroes and their icons, their sports icons on the walls and such. But, uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, for a lot of folks, for a lot of kids of that age group, again, 12 to 19, 12 to 18, that's their guy. They're going to wear number 15 when they go out and play for their football team. They're going to want to be the guy who's going to try to emulate him. They're going to want to wear their hair just like Patrick Mahomes. They want to want to go ahead and, and and date white women and date outside their race like Patrick Mahomes did. Just joking. Just joking on that one. I just want to make sure that y'all are paying attention. No, but for the most part, they want to be Patrick Mahomes. Just like we wanted to be Magic Johnson, just like I wanted to be Eric Dickerson, just like I wanted to be Warren Moon, just like I wanted to be Dave Stewart, just like I wanted to be Curry Puckett, just like I wanted to be um, Yvonne Lendl, just like I wanted to be Muhammad Ali, just like I wanted to be all of my guys, all of my heroes, all of my stars at that time growing up, which again cultivated and had me grow into the sports fan that I am today. So Patrick Mahomes is that guy. So Patrick Mahomes' legacy in that sense has already been built. Now we're speaking about, again, how much greater can Patrick Mahomes' legacy be? If he stopped playing today, he's in the Hall of Fame. So everything that he needs to accomplish to be great, to be legendary, to be a Hall of Famer, that's already been done. And it's already been done at the age of, I would say, 26 or 27. He has the records. He has the talent, He has the Super Bowls. He has everything at his disposal, which he needs to qualify for being a Hall of Famer, which is awesome in itself. Now, Patrick Mahomes, in terms of winning football games and everything like that, I, I, I know for an individual, Patrick Mahomes' main deal is to win Super Bowls and that type of thing, win it for his coaches, win it for his kids, win it for his wife, win it for the community, win it for his, himself. But just in terms of legacy is concerned, what would this Super Bowl victory over San Francisco mean for the legacy of Patrick Mahomes? How much greater would he rise in the GOAT status when we're speaking about the greatest quarterbacks of all time if he can pull this off? Where are we going? What are we talking about? Because I already mentioned and I already talked about the accomplishments I already mentioned the fact that if I didn't mention the fact, let me reiterate, he's 14 and three in terms of his overall playoff record. He has an 824 winning percentage in the playoffs, which is the best of any quarterback who's made at least 15 starts. And if you compare his greatness already at the age of 28, and again, let's go on the assumption that he's going to win this Super Bowl, which will give him three championships in six years. All of the things that he's accomplished by the age of 28. And then say, okay, what will this mean in terms of him and his greatness? Compared to other great legendary quarterbacks. The inventor of the forward pass. One of the greatest NFL players who's ever played that no one knows. Sammy Ball of the then Washington Redskins won two championships by the age of 28. Between uh, 1937 and 1942, he won his two championships. Never won a championship after that. And that was in a time... In a season, in, 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 and this was a guy who, again, was the inventor of the forward pass. Johnny Unitas, four-time NFL MVP, named the 10 Pro Bowls, right? He was supposed to be the guy that, for the longest, was the greatest quarterback. He is. He was the godfather of quarterbacks. He was where the modern-day quarterback started. He is the tree. He is the foundation, the great Johnny Unitas of the Baltimore Colts. He won his first championship at the age of 25, that memorable overtime victory Over the New York Giants in 1957. Alan Amici going over right tackle. To win that game over Sam Huff. And the New York Giants 23-17. But he won his first championship. At the age of 25. And had two championships. By the age of 28. He won three championships. And a Super Bowl in 18 seasons. We speak about Bart Starr. Vince Lombardi. The team of the 60's as you might say. He won five championships overall. 1961, 1962, Then 1965, and then the back-to-back championship, winning the Super Bowl, Super Bowl one, Super Bowl two, over Kansas City and over Oakland. Between the ages of 32 and 38, is where he did most of his damage. Terry Bradshaw won his first championship at the age of 27, his fourth year in the league, won four total. You're speaking about uh, Joe Montana, who up until Johnny Unitas, he supplanted Unitas as the greatest quarterback who's ever played. By the time That his career career was over. He won his first championship at the age of 25. And the second championship at the age of 28. Then won back-to-back championships at the age of 31 and 32. Peyton Manning won his first championship at the age of 30. And then you speak of other great quarterbacks. Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls. Ben Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls. And he won his first Super Bowl relatively young. I believe at the age of 23. But that was a situation where Jerome Bettis, as we can say, quote unquote, drove the bus to that victory in Detroit and then drove off into his retirement. John Elway won two Super Bowls, but those were late in his career and he had to overcome a whole lot of scrutiny. He had the whole—he had to uh, overcome a whole lot of uh, of uh, people talking about he could never get it done. He's choking and all this type of stuff. But at the end of his career, at the age, of a, I believe, of 37 And 38 is when Elway won his two Super Bowls, which cemented his greatness as a quarterback. Brett Favre, Drew Brees, Steve Young, Aaron Rodgers have all won one championship, while Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon hasn't won any. So the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you speak about the greatness of Mahomes, and you speak about all that he's accomplished in terms of winning. Forget the numbers because you can always sit there and argue about, well, you know, it's easier to accumulate numbers today because of the rules of the game is so geared towards the offense and you can't put your hands on the quarterback anymore. You can't hit them high. You can't hit them low. You can't take them to a ground. You can't take them to the ground in a violent way. You can't hit them in the head. You can't hit them in the knees. You can't hit them in the feet, all this type of stuff. And then with the um, receivers, you can't Touching him after five yards and all this type of stuff. So, of course, today, in today's game, it's geared more toward quarterbacks accumulating high numbers. So we don't even need to really talk about Mahomes' stat uh, stat totals in terms of yardage, in terms of touchdowns so far. But uh, just in terms of championships, just in terms of winning... Yeah, Mahomes has already surpassed such greats as Brett Favre and Drew Brees and Steve Young and John Elway and Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino and Warren Moon and Jim Kelly and as Ty Ben Roethlisberger does and such, all at the age of 28 years old. So all of this is just to say the importance of the Super Bowl, not in terms of, well, what does that mean for Mahomes in terms of his, you know, in in terms of his resume-building Hall of Fame career in that regard, it's all about, well, with this victory or this loss or this performance or whatever, where does this put him now in the status of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? Notice I didn't mention Otto Graham winning 10 championships. And notice I didn't mention Tom Brady winning seven championships because a Otto Graham played in a much different era of football where he won a few of his uh, championships And not in the NFL, but in another league before that merged with the NFL. And with Tom Brady, he's the greatest in terms of the quarterback position is concerned. So that's who Mahomes is is chasing. And when you speak about the yardage, when we speak about the longevity, when we speak about the wins and and everything that um, Tom Brady has done, it is still way too early to start comparing Patrick Mahomes to that man especially at the age of 28. Now, when Mahomes hits 32, 35, 38, if he's still playing football and if he's still doing what he's doing, then possibly you can maybe have that conversation. But as of right now, we really can't make that conversation because Patrick Mahomes concerning, uh, when you speak about the journey that he's going to be taking to get to someone like a Tom Brady, that journey has still not been completed. Right now, if you're speaking about journeys toward greatness and reaching the level of a Tom Brady, it's almost like if you start driving from Maryland and you're looking to go to uh, California, um, right now, Patrick Mahomes would be somewhere between Tennessee and Arkansas while Tom Brady is chilling in California. But the thing is, is that while Tom Brady might have taken three or four days to get to where Patrick Mahomes is right now in terms of Arkansas, Patrick Mahomes got there in two days. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just something I wanted to throw out there. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What happens to the legacy of Andy Reid if he wins his third championship? Would we'll tie him with Bill Walsh, my man Joe Gibbs for third place, only behind Chuck Nolan, Bill Belichick in terms of Super Bowl winnings. So please save me your comments about, well, what about George Halas? Well, what about Vince Lombardi? Well, what about Paul Brown? I'm talking about Super Bowl championships. Andy Reid is something else. He kind of came on the radar a little bit late, right? Because Andy Reid was another guy. When he was in Philadelphia, and he had those teams led by Donovan McDab and everything, and he kept losing a- uh, NFC championships, there was a situation where, damn, is Philadelphia with Andy Reid, is he ever going to make it over the hump? Is he going to go down as the... One of the great coaches in NFL history who forget winning a Super Bowl, even making it to a Super Bowl. He made it once with the Eagles, where they lost to the uh, New England Patriots. But for the most part, coming into the ooh, coming into the um, coming into the head coaching position with Kansas City. I mean, Andy Reid was a guy who was a really good coach. Was always regarded as a, as an excellent coach. But what was missing from his resume was winning that Super Bowl. Now, since he hitched his wagons to uh, Patrick Mahomes, now he's going for his third championship. Where would that put him? What are we going to be speaking about? What are we going to be talking about when it comes to Andy Reid? A guy who has more victories than um, more, more victories than uh, Tom Landry. More victories than Chuck Knoll. So it'll be interesting to see where that's going and what that's happening. And, and, and when we speak about the storylines that we can talk about concerning Kansas City and what it means to win a championship, what it would mean for them as a franchise, as a team to win a championship, do you already consider Kansas City as a dynasty? do you consider and let's not sit there and talk about no because they haven't won as much as as uh, new england with tom brady and bill belichick i'm not talking about that nonsense i'm not talking about that bullshit calm down hold down listen to me and what i'm saying in today's day and age of an of the nfl when you're speaking about it's been 20 years since the team has gone back to back in winning nfl championships are you considering the Kansas City football team a dynasty as of right now? Because of what they, they, they've done so far in the five years of Patrick Mahomes being the quarterback? And what would this mean? So if, so if we're speaking about the Kansas City football team already a dynasty for what they've done. Now winning a Super Bowl two weeks from now beating San Francisco, now we're starting to speak about this is the greatest dynasty, or this is the greatest football run since New England with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. What does that mean? Are we looking at that? Are we scoping that out? Not saying that they're going to be on the same level. No, I'm not talking about them being on the same level as the greatest dynasty in sports history outside of the Boston Celtics of what uh, Bill Russell did winning 11 championships in 13 years, the second greatest being what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did. But what I'm speaking about is now Kansas City, the way that the game is played today, the way the league is run and operated today with a hard salary cap and such outside of the New England Patriots. Is this the best Example of a dynasty that we have going and that we've had going for the last 8 to 10 years. Especially once again, they accomplished the feat of beating San Francisco, which would then break that 20-year drought of franchises going back to back in the Super Bowls. We we, we thought we had contenders. We thought the Seattle Seahawks were going to be that team. We thought that there were going to be others that would have that opportunity to fill that void, to fill that role in terms of which team is the best, which team could be building a dynasty as of right now. Seattle had the chance to do it. But Pete Carroll decided to let Russell Wilson be a hero instead of Marshawn Lynch. And we all saw how that turned out in that Super Bowl against New England. So now a victory over San Francisco. I'm saying it for the third time. Will they give them the status of being the best dynasty without question, without doubt, without discussion? Would that put them in dynasty mode? What about the San Francisco 49ers? Man, what would that victory mean for them? Discussing this here on Wendell's World of Sports with George truly, Wendell Wallace. What would winning a Super Bowl for them mean? What would it mean for Brock Purdy? Best story in terms of a quarterback? If he wins this game, let's say Bark Purdy comes out and plays well. He doesn't stink up the joint. He doesn't do what Ben Roethlisberger did. He doesn't even do what Tom Brady did the first time that New England won the Super Bowl. Or maybe he's just a couple of notches above that. Where in that game, Tom Brady against St. Louis, the greatest show on turf, one of the greatest upsets in Super Bowl history. Tom Brady was good, but he wasn't great. Tom Brady didn't give us an indication during that game. That Tom Brady was going to turn into Tom Brady of what we know of today. But he did what he had to do in that game-winning drive to uh, get them to uh, kick a field goal by Adam Vinatieri to upset the Rams when everybody who was calling the game was speaking about, well, they just need to take a knee and go into overtime and see what happens. Which then put Brady on that path to superstardom, icon status, legendary status, GOAT status at the quarterback position. Let's say Purdy has a game a little bit better than that. He doesn't need to go on a game winning drive or anything like that, but you know, he he plays a little bit he plays he plays more like the second half in the games versus or really the fourth quarter in the games versus um Green Bay and Detroit than he did the first half. I don't want to see him limping. I don't want to see him doing a Peyton Manning in terms of winning a Super Bowl. Basically, Hitching his wagons to a defense Into a running game and saying Take me across the finish line boys But if Purdy is going to be An integral part An important part An impactful part An important part In them winning the Super Bowl And beating the budding dynasty Which is the monster Patrick Mahomes in Godzilla of a football team King Kong of a football team Who ain't got shit on anybody else In terms of the uh, Kansas City football team If Brock Purdy can overcome that are we now speaking about Purdy possibly maybe man I'm not going to say that name I'm not going to say that name but who thought Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady after that Super Bowl even after he came in and led New England to those victories after Drew Brees got hurt in that game against the uh, New York Jets Mo Mo Lewis taken out Drew Brees Tom Brady comes in and the greatest has started. Who would have thought? So yes, it's blasphemous. Yes, it's nonsensical. Yes, it's ridiculous. Yes, it's stupid to sit there and say, well, if Brock Purdy comes in and plays pretty decent and has this victory over uh has this victory over um Kansas City that he's the next Tom Brady. No, 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 no. I don't want to say that. I'm not gonna say that, even though I just said it. But what will it do? what will the impact have because Brock Purdy is such a polarizing figure and, and, and again it is so ridiculous because everything that he does he has his detractors and he has his fan base and each go way too overboard one way or the other if you're a detractor of Brock Purdy, it's because he's not on the same level as Patrick Mahomes. He's not on the same level as Josh Allen. He's not on the same level as Aaron Rodgers with with the Packers. He's not a quote-unquote elite quarterback. He's not a top-five quarterback, despite the fact that he wins football games and he was in the race for the MVP this season. So his fan base is saying, hey, man, Brock Purdy, you see what he did? He's great. He's wonderful. He's got the it factor. The teammates love him, blah, 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 blah. And then the detractors say, well, what are you talking about? He's got Trent Williams blocking for him. He's got George Kittle at the tight end position. He's got Debo Samuels. He's got Ayuk. Uh, he's got Kyle Shanahan at the offensive coordinator. He's got all these things around him. Of course he's going to be great. You have to be almost Trent Dilferish in Tampa Bay for him not to succeed. So really, he's overrated. Overrated on who? Overrated based on what? Yeah, if, if, if you think... Brock Purdy, regardless of what he does, he could go out on Sunday or next Sunday and throw for 500 yards and 18 touchdowns against Kansas City. He's still not Patrick Mahomes. He's still not Lamar Jackson. He's still not Josh Allen. He's still not Joe Burrow. He's not that guy. He doesn't have the upside of a Trevor Lawrence. He's not that guy. But that doesn't mean he's a bum. Obviously, you can see that you can win a championship with the guy, at least a conference championship with the guy. So can we stop having these two extremes? Brock Purdy is not an elite quarterback in terms of you give him the responsibility that you give a Patrick Mahomes or you give a Lamar Jackson or you give a C.J. Stroud or you give a Joe Burrow. He is not that guy. But hell, he ain't Sam Howell. He ain't Desmond Ritter. Come on, man. He's not that bad. He's good enough to get you. If you put him in the right system, which he is, he can win you a championship. If you put him on Baltimore, Baltimore ain't going 14-2. and two. If you put him on Kansas City, they ain't winning Super Bowls. If you put him on Buffalo, they ain't going nowhere. But if you put Brock Purdy in Miami, Miami's going to make it to the playoffs. If you put him on Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's going to be better than they are with Kenny Pickett. If you put him on my Washington commander, damn sure he's going to be better than Sam Howell. And Washington is going to win more than four games. Thank goodness he's not on Washington because we need a better quarterback that 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 has potential more than Brock Purdy. But what I'm trying to say is that, look, Brock Purdy is not the greatest of all time, but he's also not he's also not garbage. So I just I just love this. Hey, you see what Brock Purdy did in the uh, fourth quarter against the uh, Lions? He's got the it factor. Yeah, but did you also see the fact that the Lions basically snatched defeat from the jaws of victory? And you can say the same thing about Kansas City, but Baltimore. You know how great was the great Patrick Mahomes in the second half against Baltimore? If it wasn't for Trey Flowers fumbling into the goal, in, in, into the end zone, if it wasn't for him losing his mind temporarily and getting that 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct, if it wasn't for Todd Munkin losing his mind and putting together the worst offensive offensive game plan that many people have seen in eons, the the what if, the what if, the what if, the what if, the what if. We can what if each other to death. Bottom line is that Kansas City is in the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers are in the Super Bowl. Well, the Lions gave it away, well, Dan Campbell's decision um, and I'll go into this in my second segment here for those who want to sit there and blame Dan Campbell and this was nutty, and he was dumb, and they can't believe this and he was too aggressive, blah 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 for for those who are thinking that and 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 you know what what are y'all talking about i don't I don't get it, I don't understand it. Willie could have kicked the field goal Willie should have kicked the field goal did you did you see the second half? what you watching the second half you you didn't notice that. Detroit couldn't stop San Francisco at all? Have you seen Detroit play football games this year? You you realize that 34% of the time on fourth down that Dan Campbell goes for it, right? Now, when Dan Campbell, who has made more egregious calls on fourth down, or more puzzling calls to go for it on fourth down... And those fourth down conversions had been successful. Oh, that oh, that! Oh, that Dan Campbell, what a guy. Oh, he's a, oh what a gutsy, gutsy guy. And da, 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 the praise rains down. And he doesn't make it all of a sudden. Now he's an idiot. He cost the team the game and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? Again, did you watch the game? Did, did you see one of the fourth down conversions that should have been caught? Are we saying that a 48-yard field goal is, 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 is easy to make? And again, did you see the reliance on defense? I'll get all into that in the second, second segment. All I'm saying is that, hey, you know what? Detroit gave San Francisco opportunities to win the game. San Francisco took advantage of those opportunities to win. You have to remember, see, I'm a fan of the Washington Commanders. So I know really bad football. I know really bad football teams, and for those who might be fans of the Las Vegas Raiders, those who might be fans of the Carolina Panthers, those who might be fans of the Chicago Bears, those who might be fans of the Denver Broncos, as of right now, see, see we we know it's it's not as easy to say, well, you know, um, you, you know. It, it, uh, Dan Campbell should have kicked the field goal. Or, yeah, you know what? Um, the San Francisco 49ers got the ball back after the turnovers on downs, and they went and scored a touchdown. Like, that somehow, way, that's easy to do. Like, when Detroit didn't make that uh, fourth down conversion, that the 49ers, it was a fait accompli that San Francisco was going to go down and score a touchdown. Hey, for someone like myself, who watches the Washington Commanders, Do you know how hard that is to take advantage of openings from teams? Do you know how hard it is for Washington Commander fans or Carolina Panther fans or Denver Broncos fans or this season Tennessee Titans fans or this season New England Patriots fans or New York Jets fans? Do you know how hard that is to take a ball in the fourth quarter down fourteen-seven points? And drive 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards to score. Not field goals, but touchdowns. Do you understand how hard that is? I don't think you do. Because this piling on with Dan Cable. In terms of, oh, this guy should have kicked the field goal. This, that, and the other. When the turnover... I'll save it for the second segment. I'll save it for the second segment. Get off track a little bit. My only thing is that some of the storylines going into this game. We spoke about the uh, greatness we spoke about, what it would mean for Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, I think, for San Francisco, what would it mean? I, I think when we take a look at some of the memorable quarterback games, or memorable games that were surrounded by the quarterback, when you think about Super Bowl three, Joe Namath predicting uh, victory, and basically, you know, I wouldn't say saving the NFL, but basically causing the merger between The NFL and the AFL. That was one of the more iconic things in terms of, uh, wow, I can't believe that. When you speak about Jim Plunkett, who was basically left for dead after his career with the uh, New England Patriots being the number one draft pick in 1971 by the uh, Patriots out of Stanford, winning the uh, Heisman Trophy. The fact that he was able to resurrect his career out of nowhere and take over with the Oakland Raiders and lead them to a Super Bowl XV victory. Over the uh, Philadelphia Eagles When again you speak about the greatest Performance in NFL history And the historical Impact that Doug Williams had In Super Bowl 22 over the Denver Broncos, the greatest quarter in NFL history. When you speak about Joe Montana's final drive, when you speak about these iconic moments, when you speak about Tom Brady leading the team down to a field goal for one of the greatest upsets in Super Bowl history, as I spoke about before, Brock Purdy winning this game, where he came, his story, everything about his story from the looks of his mother to the fact that he still lives at home and to the fact that he would make a relevant, the fact that uh, the 49ers in the same draft drafted Trey Lance to be their guy, everything surrounding Brock Purdy, his humility, his faith in God, his everything, his wholesomeness. I mean, this is a situation where the NFL might be drooling in terms of saying, man, if we could get this guy to be the face of our league, Amidst everything that's going on, the negativity that's been surrounding us for the last couple of years, And we could promote this guy, if we could show this guy, we could plaster this guy—a handsome, Christian-loving, God-fearing, good man like Brock Purdy—as our guy, as our fella, someone who really doesn't have, as, we, as, we, we, as 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 far as we know, doesn't have any skeletons in the closet. And we could throw this out to Middle America. And we could throw this out to the white folks in rural areas, bam! For the fox-loving folks, man, this could be the biggest thing since Tim Tebow had his fifteen minutes of fame with the NFL. So all of this stuff is going to be baked in some of the storylines that are going to be spoke about this uh, this Super Bowl season. <sighs> I gotta take a boogie break. I gotta hear a little big pun. I gotta hear a little fat Joe. No, you know what? I'll save that for later. I gotta hear a little. I gotta go back to DC and hear a little go-go. I gotta hear a little Chuck Brown. I gotta hear a little something. So um when we come back from a boogie break, I'm gonna talk about the um I'm gonna talk about the conference championship games. Discuss about who lost the game, who should be feeling worse. The Baltimore Ravens or the Detroit Lions? And the answer should be obvious. Ooh, it should be obvious. I'll discuss that next. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's world and sports.
1: Ready for war, Joe? How you wanna blow? They spy. I know these dirty cops. That'll get us in if we murder some wop. Hop in your Hummer. The punish is ready. Meet me and beetles with noodles. we we'll do the zoo while he's slurping spaghetti. Everybody kiss the fucking floor. Joe, we crack. Fuck them all. If they move, noodle. Shoot that fucking whore. Dead in the middle of little, littley, little. Did we know that we riddle to middle? Man who didn't do diddly. It'll be a cold game. How the day I take it now? Make no mistake. For real, I wouldn't hesitate to kill. I'm still a fat one that you love to hate. Got you at your mother's waist. Smack you, then I'll act- you with my stuff, I rub your face off the earth and curse your family's children like Amityville filling Drill the nerves in your cavity, filling. <laughs> insanity's building a pavilion in my civilian. It can't be the energy that yeah. like humanity's filling. i villain without remorse. Who's willing to out the boards forever and take all of cheddar like child support. I support one and anything he does, anything he loves. A brother from another mother sent for the above. A dark nigga just like me, one of the best right. might be. Even better, even niggas kneeling on they right knee. Spike me. And
0: paint a you small change, blowing, not your Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace So glad that you could be with us Oh by the way I'm recording this on a uh, Tuesday afternoon I'm watching the uh, TNT broadcast Right now of Indiana In Boston I don't even know what The, the late game isn't the late game um, What's the late game do you know Portland and uh, Portland and Philly right Is, is Embiid playing I was so disappointed. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Disappointed about the decision that was made for him not to play against Denver. No, I don't think he's ducking. I don't think he's ducking Jokic or any of that nonsense. I don't. But, man, I just wish that he would have played. I wish he would have played. I'm quite sure the TV executives in the NBA wish he could have played. So, Um, you know what? I'm going to speak very very quickly at the end of the podcast, the last part of the podcast, and I'm going to tell y'all uh, basically that um, there's some plans. I'm reworking some plans because what I started off with in terms of the NFL, speaking about the Super Bowl, speaking about the ramifications of the Super Bowl, speaking about the storylines. Then I'm going to be going into the segment. I'm going to be speaking about the uh, conference championship games, and then I'm going to be speaking about the segment after that about the uh, NFL coaches because I really want to give a shout out to the and I'm not going to get too deep in uh, in on this because I want to save it for the uh, next segment but I really want to give a shout out to uh, the NFL for at least uh, doing something that I never thought they would do um, leaving two highly highly qualified coaches on the sideline one that's on the cusp of becoming the all-time winningest coach in NFL history who had won six Super Bowls who is regarded As the greatest coach, not just in NFL history, but possibly in sports in general. The fact that he's not getting a job this season uh, by the looks of things. And they hired uh, what the NFL hired with three black head coaches two which were kind of a surprise. Um, I got to give the NFL credit. Give credit where credit is due, because we bash him enough. Understandably so when a situation where the black head coaches representing the NFL has been so low for some time, they should be criticized for that. But I know one thing. I know one thing. And black folks, you know one thing also. That if there was a black Bill Belichick or a black Mike Vrabel who did not get a job this season, black folks, including me, would be screaming from the high heavens. We would be lambasting. We would just be going on and on and on. You know how black folks are when we start criticizing folks, right? <laughs> no no one can criticize folks, especially white folks, more like black folks, whether they deserve it or not. Black folks go on and on and on and on and on. Oh, racism, this, that, and the other, while it still exists. You know how black folks are. Woo, man, we, we can play that victim role very well. Justifiably so. We've had a lot of, we've had a lot of practice. We've had a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of experience, about 400 years worth of being the victim. So playing that role is pretty easy for us it it continues. But in this case, if black, if, 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 if Bill Belichick was black and that man didn't get a job, oh my goodness gracious. I don't know what Al Sharpton is he still around? I don't know, boy. Charlemagne, the God? I mean, everybody from the community would be yelling and screaming. The NFL is racist. This that. They would be bringing up Kaepernick again. They'd be like, oh man, oh man, oh man. So that and Vrabel. I can't believe black Mike Vrabel. I can't believe black Bill Belichick didn't get a job. Everything that they've done. So I want to, I want to commend the NFL or at least the owners, whoever's making these calls, to um, I want to say thank you for this situation. Again, I'll get to that even more in the next segment. But I just wanted, again, just my kudos to the NFL because Lord knows if uh, it had been the other way around, yeah, I'd be hollering and screaming and insulting folks and doing all that kind of nonsense. Lord have mercy. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Al 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 Sharpton would be we gathering up folks, marching down to the NFL offices. Woo, man, it'd be something else. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Waller. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's uh, speak about uh, the NFC and AFC championship games. Baltimore and Kansas City, Detroit, and San Francisco. Okay, so, of course, the discussion is going to be about... um, it's, It's interesting that there's more discussion about the loser of the games rather than the winners, right? So, you know which laws had the more devastating effect, or which team should be more disappointed, which team lost the game, and can we become a little bit more specific here in terms of what does it mean both short term and long term? So, when you speak about which team suffered the most devastating loss, whether it be what was it the Detroit Lions or was it the Baltimore Ravens? We have to put this in context in terms of are you speaking about just for next year? or five years down the road, what kind of impact are we talking about, what are you defining in terms of the more devastating defeat, are we just speaking about this season, are we just speaking about my goodness gracious, if the Ravens would have won this game, then they clearly wouldn't have won the Super Bowl, or if the Lions would have won this game, they clearly wouldn't have won the Super Bowl, or you know, now the fact that uh, even though there were reports saying that Dan Campbell or um. The offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, is going to return for his fifth season with the club. He's not going to uh, take any job offered by the Washington Commanders or Seattle Seahawks if they were to uh, offer him the job that he's going to return as the offensive coordinator. So some of the some of the loss to the 49ers, some of that pain has been mitigated, has been uh, suppressed by the news that Johnson is coming back. But, you know... I wish you folks would define a little bit more in terms of who had the more devastating loss. Are we speaking long-term? Are we speaking short-term? Are we speaking five years from now? Are we speaking coaches losing jobs? Are we speaking about change of coordinators, change of philosophies? What, what exactly are we speaking about? In terms of my definition of who had the more devastating long-term effect on the franchise when you speak about either Detroit or... Baltimore, for me, the answer is easy. It's got to be the Ravens, right? H- how can you say anything else? Baltimore losing to Kansas City 17-10. to And my question is, did the Ravens throw away their best and only chance to win the Super Bowl for the next five years? That- that's, to me, how devastating this loss was. They had the MVP quarterback. They had the league's best defense. They had home field advantage. They were playing in a season where Joe Burrow was injured most of the time, where Cleveland didn't have their starting quarterback, where Buffalo was ravished by injuries, while Kansas City Dilly really didn't have the team, had the worst offensive team of the Patrick Mahomes era. You're speaking about the turmoil that was in um, uh, Denver with the last sightings vestige of the employment of Russell Wilson being a starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. If you take a look at this season, and you take a look at all of the contenders in the AFC, the one that had the clearest path, the one that had the most advantage in terms of health, in terms of uh, defense, offense, in terms of home field advantage, in terms of everything, in terms of motive, was the Baltimore Ravens. And to lose to the uh, Kansas City football team the way that they did. And it just seemed to me straight from the get-go. That it, it just seemed that I don't know what happened. It just seemed that like Baltimore panicked. Baltimore on offense particularly panicked. Kansas City opening drive, 10 plays, what, 76, 86 yards. and went down the field. Mahomes uh, throwing a beautiful 19-yard touchdown pass in the right corner to uh, Travis Kelsey to make a 7 nothing the opening drive. It, it just seemed to me, watching the game, it just seemed that that kind of shook up the Ravens in terms of them saying, oh, oh shit, oh, fuck it, we got to go ahead and we got to score 30 points. That's my only explanation, and, and and that was my explanation for when they made these ridiculous penalties. Cal Van Nooy, the, the the closing drive for Kansas City at the end of the half where they got a field goal out of it because of a roughing the passer penalty where Patrick Mahomes was almost beheaded but then Kyle Van Noy being duped by Travis Kelsey as an uns- for an unsportsmanlike conduct giving them 15 yards again to give them a field goal in a game where Baltimore seemed to be panicking because they were down by heaven's sakes alive 7 points I don't understand it I don't understand it That they, they got Mahomed they were mentally Mahomed it's almost like they went back to the old Jim Croce song. You don't tug on band's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of Old Lone Ranger, man. You don't mess around with Jim. It just seemed like in their minds that after they were singing, after, after that touchdown was made by Kansas City, that Jim Harbaugh, Tom Munkin, Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens started thinking, oh, shit. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of old old ranger, and you don't mess around with Patrick Mahomes. It was just mind-boggling. That's all I can think of. And my question moving forward now for not just Lamar Jackson, but for Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, CJ Stroud, Justin Herbert and and, and and um John Hart and Jim Harbaugh. Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, um, Anthony Riff- Richardson, whoever New England drafts, to a tongue of my Here's my question to you guys. If you can't dethrone Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City this season, for the next four or five years, when are you going to? What gives you any type of confidence? What gives you any type of glass half full type of uh, reason to think that you can? Maybe, possibly, hopefully, that you could catch Kansas City on a bad day. But if you couldn't beat Patrick Mahomes this season, we on offense. He only won, you know, it, it, with him being the start, starting quarterback, he won 10 games this season, which was the fewest of his career. He passed for the fewest yards per game this season, 261. He had the lowest Q- quarterback rating of any point of his starting career, which was 92.6. He had the worst receiving core of his career, what, you had Rashid Rice, Travis Kelsey. They were the only reliable receivers or the only receivers tied in that um, Patrick Mahomes trusted. The Kansas City wide receivers had the second most dropped passes in the league this season. We saw Patrick Mahomes damn near lose his mind and make a fool out of himself after the uh, Buffalo game because, what was it, Kadarius Tony? Lined up offside so egregiously that it was almost like, man, what, what the fuck are you doing? Marquette Valdez-Statling, his missed drops or his dropped touchdown passes in critical moments. Well, it, it was just one game, but there was a lack of trust. There was a lack of belief from, the, uh, from Patrick Mahomes to the core of receivers that Kansas City had. If you can't beat Kansas City this year, what are you going to? Because if you're Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, who just signed a big fat contract, well, that's great and everything, but it means that either you're going to lose T. Higgins or Joe Mixon on your offense, as far as your offensive weapons. We don't know what's going to be happening in Buffalo after their loss lost to uh, Kansas City. We don't know what's going to be happening with the coach long term. We don't know what's going to be what's going to happen in terms of Stephon Diggs, who's turning thirty this year. Uh, is he still a number one wide receiver? We don't know about the running back situation. as inconsistent. As it's going to be and if. Josh Allen is going to continue to assume the role of both quarterback and running back and have the responsibility that he has for the offense. How much longer can he be effective? How much longer is he, is he going to hold on and be able to stand up upright despite his stature, despite his size, despite his athleticism, despite his girth, despite his strength? To Tonga Viloa, do you still believe in him? Can you believe in him? Trevor Lawrence, he's still maturing. Deshaun Watson, is he ever going to get back to where he was before he was uh, before he started funneling and sexually assaulting women? Anthony Richardson, the book is still out on him. Is Jim Harbaugh the panacea for the uh, Justin Herbert-led Los Angeles Chargers? I mean, all of these questions... Surrounding um, these other teams with Kansas City still doing what they're doing making it to the Super Bowl winning the conference championship with the team that they have right now knowing that the offense is not going to be as poor as it's going to be this season thank goodness for the defense especially in the playoffs thank goodness for the resurrection of Travis uh, Travis Kelsey but I don't know man if you can't beat Kansas City this year when? when? and I, I think that played into the role of Baltimore playing the way that they did. They were Patrick Mahone mentally, and it cost them the game. So, look, I, I, for, for the Ravens, it's, it's a situation where I don't know how much better of a opportunity that you can get. in that play calling, that offensive game plan by Todd Munkin, what, what, what were you thinking? What was that about? You throw the ball 37 times and you run it for 16? According to True Medium, they finished with 52 yards on 11 design runs. By far, the fewest carries in any game Lamar Jackson has started over his career. Kansas City, yeah, they finished the regular season with the NFL's number five pass defense. But they were 27th in run defense. But the Ravens had three design runs after halftime. Again, how pelicky could you be? The game before, the week before Kansas City had against Buffalo, the Bills ran... 39 times for 182 yards and two touchdowns. Baltimore has the best running game in the league. How could you run it only 16 times and throw it 37? And you still had plenty of opportunities to win the game. Final drive of the third quarter. 54-yard catch by Trey Flowers. Got them into the red zone for the first time all game. But then again, as I, met, as I mentioned before, he was immediately flagged after taunting uh, Legarius Steed. The penalty pushed him back 15 yards, and after another Flowers catch, Snead punched the ball out at the uh, one-yard line. Kansas City recovered in the end zone for a touchback, and then the add injury to insult, insult to injury, whatever you want to say, Flowers, in a fit of anger and frustration and immaturity, s- cuts his hand while slamming his fist on the uh, uh, on something. Then on the ensuing drive, the Ravens converted a fourth and three, a third and two, Jackson completed the 39-yard pass, to Nelson Aguilar setting them up on the Kansas City 25-yard line, and then two plays later, he threw the worst interception I think anybody can ever imagine. Looking for uh, Isaiah Lightley on the seam route, threw it into triple coverage. No, there wasn't pass interference. Stop with the bullshit. It was a horrible, horrible throw decision, anything that you can speak about. And the slamming of the helmet by Lamar Jackson as he was running off the field, indicated as such of how bad of a decision that was. Lamar Jackson, as his absolute worst, uh, wouldn't have thrown a pass like that. But he did. Panicked. Panicked. Pressured. And it was still a two-score game. Or a one-score game. So the Ravens' third drive of the fourth quarter, they reached the Kansas City 25-yard, uh, 25-yard line. Third down holding call goes uncalled forcing them to settle for a field goal. Defense held Kansas City to three points, 10 first downs across the final nine drives, and you still couldn't win the football game. It's devastating, man. You speak about, oh, it's got to be devastating for the Lions. How? How? How is it more devastating for the Lions than it is for the Ravens? This was a historically bad loss. I mean, you can sit there and whine and complain about Dan Campbell, but mentally... I think it's going to be harder for the Ravens to get back to where they were than the uh, Detroit Lions. According to the NFL research, the Ravens led the NFL in rushing yards on offense while allowing the fewest points on defense and has a team averaged 25 points per game. Only the 1985 Bears, who won the Super Bowl and only lost one game at Miami, and the 1972 Miami Dolphins, who were undefeated, had only accomplished that feat, and both of them won the Super Bowl. How many times are the Ravens going to be able to do that? Lamar Jackson signed a $260 million contract extension. He's going to be the MVP for the second time. The defense had the most sacks in the NFL, ranked first in most of the defensive uh, categories, and you go out and lose. You go out and lose. The team's Baltimore beat the season were the Miami Dolphins, were the, tech, ten, uh, were the uh, Houston Texans, the Detroit Lions, the 49ers. You saw what they did against the 49ers on the road, right? You saw what they did against the Miami Dolphins the next week after that, right? You saw the beatdown 34-6 that they put on the Detroit Lions, right? Which in, which, put Lamar Jackson on the radar in terms of being the MVP. You saw what they did. You saw the fact that the Ravens beat the playoff teams on their schedule by more than 100. Points combined. And they lost at home to a depleted compared to their other teams, Kansas City football team. How do you overcome that? How do you rectify that? How do you get yourself off after falling? How do you get yourself up after falling off that mountain? And start that climb all over again, knowing that next season, next regular season means nothing. Nothing. Nothing that the Baltimore Ravens are going to do next year means jack Diddley. I don't give a flying fuck if Lamar Jackson comes out and throws for 200 touchdowns. I don't care if he throws for 10,000 yards, throws for 200 touchdowns, runs for 2,500 yards, and scores another 50 touchdowns. It don't mean shit. It don't mean jack. It don't mean nothing. I don't give a damn if the Baltimore Ravens go 17-0 and beat every team by 150 points. I don't give a damn if the Baltimore Ravens on defense shut out everybody and don't allow a first down for the entire fucking season. It don't mean nothing doesn't mean, all those accomplishments mean nothing and despite that dominance, and of course I'm being facetious, but no matter how great they play no matter how dominant they look if they are to regain the stature that they left at the altar at the end of week 17 or after that Miami game where they were at their absolute best, or in the second half of the playoff game against the uh, Houston Texans Even if they regain that stature, even if they regain that level, no one's going to give a shit. The fans ain't going to give a shit, the media ain't going to give a damn, and the players, for the most part, ain't going to be giving a damn because it means absolutely nothing. Until you win the conference championship and you make it to the Super Bowl, anything that you do in the regular season as a team or as individuals mean nothing. And for a season as hard as and as long, and as brutal, and as physical, and as demanding as the NFL, man, that's tough. That's tough. That's really tough. So I don't know, man. I don't know what we're seeing the end of a year. I don't know. I mean, Lamar Jackson isn't going anywhere. And I guess for the most part, for the immediacy, John Harbaugh isn't going anywhere. But I, I remember devastating losses. I mean, the, 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 the Ravens can go one of two ways. They can go like the nineteen ninety eight Minnesota Vikings. If you don't remember that team, I remember that team. Dennis Green was the head coach. Brian Billick was the offensive coordinator. You had Randy Moss tearing up the league as a, a rookie. You had Randall Cunningham coming back out of retirement to uh, take over from Brad Johnson after he got injured and becoming one of the comeback players of the year. You had, um, I mean, you you had a squad. You had a squad, you had um, Robert Smith, you had Jake Reed, you had Chris Carter, you had John Randall, you, they set the record for most points scored during the regular season, Gary Anderson was perfect on field goals and extra points during the regular season, they had the home field advantage because they were 15-1, only losing at Tampa Bay, 30-24, to Tony Dungy getting revenge on a team that he was the defensive coordinator for. But the Vikings came into that championship game against the underwhelmed, undermanned, underappreciated Atlanta Falcons with the Dirty Bird and Jamal Anderson and, uh, and Dan Reeves at the, the head coach. They had a chance to win the game, but Robert Smith decided instead of running clock that he would run out of bounds because he didn't want to get hurt on the final drive that could have cemented the game. And when Gary Anderson missed that field goal, and when Robert Griffith missed the opportunity to intercept the ball by our Chris Chandler from Atlanta thrown in the end zone, and Atlanta went on to score, uh, you knew it was over. <laughs> and that game was over. Um, Morton Anderson kicked the field goal, 27-24. I believe that was the end of the um, score. That was the end of the game. That was the end of the chances. That was the end of the Minnesota Vikings' best opportunity, probably in the last, I don't know, what, 30 years? To get back to the... Um, to get back to the uh, Super Bowl, I know when Brett Favre was the quarterback and they lost at New Orleans and, they, and New Orleans beat the living shit out of Brett Favre, that was also a a, an, um, a great opportunity. But I think that 1998 Vikings team, not only that 1998 Viking team, was probably one of the best teams in NFL history who'd never made it to the Super Bowl, but it devastated that team. That team was never the same. They went 10-6 and the next season. I believe they lost to the St. Louis Rams 49-37, and that was the end of everything. In fact, the Vikings have only been back to the NFC title game twice since that game. They lost them both. So that, that game had had decades worth of damage, which I think they're still trying to trying to uh come out from. The Houston Oilers, remember that where they lost the um game to the uh Buffalo Bills 41-38? I remember. Watching that game, getting on a plane. This was when I was living in San Diego. I had come back from, I had gone back. I was going to San Diego Mesa. I had went home, back to the DMV to visit my parents. And I was watching the game. And at halftime, Houston was blowing on the mountain. Houston was my team. I loved, I loved Houston with Warren Moon and Haywood Jeffries and Ernest Givens and Webster Slaughter and Lorenzo Wright and Sean Jones and Ruth Matthews and... I believe Jack Pardee was the coach of that team. And, man, there was so much to play on. There was so much fun to play on uh, what was in television. I I, I remember playing the video game with Warren Moon as my quarterback with Houston. And I would have him for a whole season throw like, you know, 200 touchdowns. And Haywood Jeffries would catch 100 of them. And Ernest Givens and Curtis Duncan. Man, I love playing video games. The football video games with that that team. But uh, I got on the plane. And uh, Houston was way ahead at halftime. I got off the plane when I got to San Diego. And it was like, wait a minute, Houston lost? <laughs> I got on the plane at halftime, got off the plane to San Diego, and I was like, wait a minute, Houston lost? How the fuck did that happen? And then I found out they didn't have Jim Kelly? They didn't. They had front and right at the backup quarterback, and they still couldn't win? And Warren Moon threw an interception? My man, my hero, my icon at that time, threw an interception? Still kind of hurts. But yeah, Houston was never the same. In fact, that contributed to, to the Oilers franchise going down to uh, Tennessee and becoming the Tennessee Titans. So I don't know what what's going to be happening to the Ravens. I don't know if they're going to go in that direction, or I don't know if they're going to do what the, the Denver Broncos did with uh, John Elway years and years ago. I believe it was 1996. I forgot. They they played the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Denver came into that that game. They were 13-3, and, and they had the best record. And everybody was talking about, okay, this is the best Denver team that John Elway has ever been on. He's got Shannon Sharp as a wide receiver. He's at the, at the tight end. They've got a great defense. Carl Mecklenburg and those guys got a great defense, blah, 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 blah. This is it. This is it. If Denver doesn't win because John Elway has already been to – three or four Super Bowls and lost them all. They got blown out by Washington. They got blown out by San Francisco. They got blown out by the Giants. But we always talked about, well, it was uh, John Elway and a bunch of nobodies. He dragged the that franchise. He dragged those teams to the uh, championship, to the Super Bowl, only to be – only to be um, – defeated by much better teams this is the team where he's got the running game i think terrell davis was the running back back then but he's got the running game and he's got the offensive line and he's got the wide receivers he's got ross smith he's got shannon sharp he's got the defense this is it they've got the best record they were the best team all season they got home field advantage and in the playoffs they're playing the jacksonville jaguars who i think have were in year two or three of their expansion they've been in the league two or three years they had Tom Coughlin at the head coach. They had Mark Brunel as the uh, quarterback. And everybody just thought that the Broncos were going to win the Super Bowl. And Mark Brunel ran all over those guys. <laughs> I mean, Mark Brunel was skipping and dipping and sliding and jiving and doing all that type of stuff. And um, Jacksonville went to Denver and they won. And after that game, boy, if you speak about folks just lambasting John Elway and the Denver Broncos. I mean, everybody. That's it. He's done he'll never win another one this was his best chance because I think Elway was uh elway was like in year 14 or 15 or something like that he wasn't in his early 20s so this was a situation where not only with the immediacy in terms of hey man we need to win this championship because I don't know if we'll ever get a better opportunity but also because John Elway is like 34 35 years old so this is kind of like his last hurrah so when he lost that game it's like I don't know how he, I don't know how he does it I don't know how he comes back from this. Not just the organization, but Elway. He'll never recover from this. This is devastating. This, that, and the other. They brought in Mike Shanahan, and uh, a couple of years later, he was winning back-to-back championships. So he beat the uh, Packers, and he beat the uh, well, he beat the Falcons. No, he beat the Packers, and he beat the Falcons. So, yeah, so I guess that was 1996, 95, somewhere like that. I don't know, man. Look it up. Homework assignment for y'all. But, uh, so it'll be interesting to see which directions... Or which direction do do the Baltimore Ravens go? Do they go the way of the 1998 Minnesota Vikings? Or the 1992 or 93 Houston Oilers? Or do they go the way of the Denver Broncos? In 1995, 96, somewhere around there. And end up winning a championship. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this means for the legacy of Lamar. I don't know. When when you're speaking about over the past six seasons, an organization like Baltimore that's won 66 games... That's tied for the second most in NFL history for a team that didn't make a Super Bowl during a six-year span. Only the Chargers, who won 67 games between 2004 and 2009, won more without making it to the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know where you go. I don't know how you pr- prognosticate, especially in today's NFL where you only get so many opportunities to do some things because of the hard salary cap and other things. I don't know what you do. I don't know what's going to be happening to the defensive coordinator. Uh, Mike McDonald. I don't know if he's going to take the Washington job. I don't know if he's going to be offered and take the Seattle Seahawks job. I don't know. I don't know. And again, what does this mean for Lamar Jackson? He's basically become the James Harden of the NFL. Right? James Harden, great numbers, great win total when he was with Houston, winning the MVP, doing all these type of things, Hall of Famer, top 75, the accolades are there, but you put him in a playoff situation, he melts, he disappears. That's Lamar Jackson for the NFL. Nothing else means anything until he wins a conference championship or a Super Bowl. This is a man who, at the age of twenty-seven, has done everything in terms of what you need to do. Almost in terms of um, Hall of Fame resume, right? Two MVPs by the time of by by the by the age of twenty-seven. The regular season win percentage is there. He's revolutionized the game, not just as a dual-threat quarterback, but now the maturation and the maturity that he showed this season under Todd Munkin to be more of a classic pocket quarterback. The only thing left for him to do now is to win a conference championship and win the Super Bowl. That's it. Nothing, nothing that he does is going to advance his career on the level of greatness in the regular season. Nothing. Again, I don't give a damn how many yards he passes for. I don't give a damn how many games he wins in the regular season. I don't give a damn about how many touchdowns he runs for, passes for, yards he throws for. It doesn't mean anything. Because they're all going to point to the fact that now he's 2-4 and four as, a, um, as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And look, the man is going to the NFL. I mean, excuse me, the man is going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to the Hall of Fame but what's it going to be because now this is the second time as a number one seed with a gaudy record that they have not got the job done and he's looked bad doing it in both instances yeah the the, the, the numbers look all right they, they look pretty decent 20 completions 37 pass attempts for 272 yards and touchdowns but he also had four sacks a sack fumble and uh yeah so I don't know it'll be interesting Real quick, once again, before I go on my boogie break, let me talk about Detroit losing to San Francisco 34-31. Detroit blew a 17-point lead after halftime. Everyone's going to blame Dan Campbell for his fourth down decisions. Ridiculous. The key of the game was a four-minute stretch in the third quarter. His first decision to go for it, right? Fourth and two from the San Francisco 28-yard line, 7:03 left to go third quarter. Detroit is leading 24-10, right? Lions quarterback Jared Goff, the pass went incomplete to Josh Reynolds because Reynolds couldn't make a difficult catch. It was difficult. It was really difficult if you were in high school. It was kind of difficult if you were in college, but the catch should have been made. Should have been made, but it wasn't made. San Francisco takes over on downs, goes five plays, 72 yards, score a touchdown to make it 24 17. So even with the situation that they were down by 17 at halftime, I still wasn't like, oh, yeah, this game's over. Yeah, no doubt about it. Number one, San Francisco was at home. And number two, I just don't trust the Detroit Lions. <laughs> so, and it, 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 it had nothing to do with the coaching. It has nothing to do with the coaching. No one could have foreseen this. Like, oh, yeah, there's going to come situations in the uh, game where the Lions are going to go for it on fourth down and not make it and then turn around and give up a touchdown and give up the lead. No, this game was far from over. This game was far from over. So, look. Um, San Francisco comes down, kick the field goal and make it 24-10. Okay, it's still a two-score game, and you've got two quarters left to play. Again, San Francisco takes over on downs. They go five plays, 72 yards, and make it a touchdown to make it 24-17. Brand new ballgame. Whole new ballgame. The narrative about blowing a 17-point lead or even having a 17-point lead is irrelevant, and halfway through the third quarter is not even over yet. So Purdy throws a 51-yard. The, really the, the the big play of, of the game was when Purdy threw a 51-yard completion to Brandon Ayuk, and would you hit the Detroit Lions defender in the face? If it was a, it, it looked like a pass that was intended for the Detroit Lions cornerback, uh, but he couldn't corral it. And Brandon Ayuk made an unbelievable play to bring it down to the four-yard line. So 24-17. I think at that point the Lions were like, "Oh shit! Oh shit!" The nutsack got a little bit tighter. And um, on the next possession, uh, Jameer Gibbs fumbled on the first play for scrimmage. San Francisco recovered. They go four plays, 24 yards, game-tying touchdown. Whole new ballgame. Crowd is going crazy. Building's going crazy. The arena's going crazy. Everything's going crazy. I'm going crazy. You're going crazy. Grandma's going crazy. How about that? Brand new ball game. Second and 11th of the Lions Twenty-six Key play of that drive. Purdy scrambles up the middle for th- 21 yards. Puts him in position for a McCaffrey touchdown to tie the game. Ball game. Second decision. So, so the first decision, I don't see how you're going to blame Dan. Uh, I don't see how you're going to blame Dan Campbell for that one. Because the pass should have been completed. So that, that's not on Dan Campbell. That's on the player. The, the play was there. The execution was far from Desirable. And a professional player who's making millions of dollars to catch that pass didn't catch it. How are you going to blame that on Dan Campbell? How was that Dan Campbell's fault? Jameer Gibbs fumbles the ball. How was that Dan Campbell's fault? Did 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 Dan Campbell tell Ben Johnson to call a play that's going to have them fumble? With the play that Ben Johnson called on fourth down and two? from the San Francisco uh, 28-yard line? Was it so complex? Was it so complicated that they couldn't execute it and somehow that's on Dan Campbell? And the fact that we're thinking about, oh, all they had to do was kick a 40-something-yard field goal? It was that easy? It was that simple? Really? And then the situation where the first time they went for it on fourth down, the defense couldn't stop them? San Francisco drives 72 yards? The defense can't stop anybody? So the defense couldn't stop anybody, which they couldn't. The defense for Detroit gave up uh, scoring uh, scores on five straight San Francisco possessions in the second half. So so what makes you think that all of a sudden because they kick a field goal that the Detroit Lions defense is going to get any, any better? Because while we're speaking about Detroit kicking field goals, San Francisco scoring touchdowns. And that ain't going to do anything. So I don't get it. I don't understand the, the 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 anger. I don't understand the vitriol toward Dan Campbell. Like he was responsible for this loss. Second time for them to go for it on fourth down, fourth and three from the San Francisco thirty yard line with seven thirty eight remaining. In the fourth quarter, now San Francisco was up twenty seven twenty four. The the um, the momentum is on their side. Fourth and three from the 30-yard line. golf throws an incomplete pass to Armand St. Brown. San Francisco takes over on their own 30. They go seven plays on 70 yards for basically the game-deciding touchdown. On third down and four from the Detroit 49-yard line. Purdy scrambles 28 yards. Ball game to the 21-yard line. Then on the next play, McCaffrey goes 25 yards to the Detroit 3-yard line. Ball game. San Francisco scored a short touchdown. Ball game. How is that Dan Campbell's fault? How is that Dan Campbell's fault? Okay, so they kick a field goal. Tie it up at 27. San Francisco is going to go down and score a touchdown. I, I don't understand it. If if you have a defense that's not stopping nobody, what's a field goal going to do? Field goal ain't going to do anything because now you have a defense that ain't stopping nobody. And what does that mean if Dan Campbell who has for the entire season spoke about, I'm putting my confidence and my trust in my offense, in my quarterback, in my team. I have given them that confidence. I have given them that trust. I have given them that belief. Now, all of a sudden, in the biggest game of the season, you're going to take that away from us? All of a sudden now, during the regular season, yeah, it's easy to sit there and say, I trust you guys in a situation like this. But now, all of a sudden, you don't? so was that trust all season a lie were you bullshitting because when you need to trust me the most in a game like this you don't that's what it would signify to me if I were a player if I were an offensive player on that team like you don't think you you really think that that the Detroit Lions on offense were surprised were shocked when they went for it on fourth down of course not because that's Dan Campbell he believes in us he trusts us of course we're gonna go for it. everyone on that offense on those two fourth down conversions were like go for it let's get it done I'm ready to go how much of a deterrent how much of a you know wind out of your sails how much confusion would it have been if Dan Campbell said no 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 we're good now we're gonna kick a field goal instead so what you've been saying Dan is basically you're full of shit When you're speaking about, I trust these guys, I believe in these guys, I know we can get it done. Basically, you're full of shit because when it's the best opportunity to prove it, not just once but twice, you you kick a field goal instead of letting us get two yards. The blame is on the offense. The blame is on the quarterback. The blame is on the wide receiver. It's not on Dan Campbell. I don't want to hear some bullshit about, well, you you need to read the game and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was reading the game, and I'm not illiterate. San Francisco on offense was rolling, and on defense, Detroit couldn't stop anybody. So what were what, what were field goals going to do when San Francisco was scoring touchdowns? So look, man, I have no dog in a fight. I have no hunt in a fight. I'm not a big Lions fan. I'm not into that. Hey, they haven't won a Super Bowl since, or they haven't won a championship since 1957, and what a great story it would be. I don't give a fuck about that nonsense. Give me the two best teams in the um, in the Super Bowl playing for the best. So, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get the anger. I don't get the venom toward Dan Campbell. I mean, it was the same thing about Brandon Staley when people used to clown him about going forward on fourth down. His players knew. His players knew. As long as the players know, this is what he does. Hey, man, you better be consistent. And if you talk about you believe and you trust us and I believe in you, it better be 100. It better be all the way. Because, again, if I were one of those players and he would have... Pulled me back. Yeah. I would start questioning him. Yeah. The shit that he would say would be hollow. I would lose some trust. I would lose some faith. I trust you guys. Love you guys. Believe in you guys. But when it comes to it. Eh. We're going to go for a field goal instead. Because I don't think you can make two yards. I don't think you can make three yards. Dan Campbell did the right things. The the, the players lost the game. The defense lost the game so this nonsense about Dan Campbell and blowing the game I don't get it I don't get it I'm going to come back after the boogie break again NFL head coaches only two left that need coaches are Washington and Seattle I'll go over some of the other coaches and again applaud the NFL for their hiring of the minority head coaches Raheem Morris no one saw that coming congratulations NFL this one time don't 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 go breaking your shoulder patting yourself on the back you know don't, don't be talking about building a, 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 a statue don't, don't be talking about putting putting the NFL logo on the side of a mountain next to uh Lincoln and Roosevelt I'm just saying it was a good job in terms of the hiring process this season I'll talk about that next Wendell's world in sports segment of the podcast last segment of the program Wendell's World of Sports I wanted to get into talk about the uh, NBA here's what I'm going to do I'm going to do another podcast in a couple of days this week I'm recording this on a Tuesday but I really want to get into the minutia of what's going on in the in the uh, NBA the trade deadlines coming up February 8th I want to talk about Lucas scoring 73 after his hmm, I don't know his immature display against the Phoenix Suns you know, telling the heckler to get lost after he was talking about Luca getting on the treadmill and that type of stuff. I want to talk about what's happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. I want to talk about some things happening at the trade deadline. Who's going where? The rumors and that type of stuff. What's going on with the Lakers? What's going on with the Warriors? I want to talk about Victor Wembanyama. I just want to talk about the NBA. I miss my NBA. I miss the love of my life. I miss my wifey when it comes to sports leagues. I miss my Halle Berry. I miss my Layla Rochon. I miss my Monica Bellucci. I miss my Selma hike. I miss my Jade of Fire. I miss my Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I miss them. So I really want to talk about them. I want to talk about them and I want to talk about Georgetown. So I want to have a podcast where I'm just talking basketball and the love of my life. My wifey when it comes to sports leagues and my wifey when it comes to sports teams. So in the next couple of days, today is Tuesday. This will be out on I don't know Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whatever you're wherever you're at. By the end of the week, I'll be doing something with the NBA. But um, so that's just again that's the re- reason why I'm talking about it because we're over an hour and a half into this podcast, and I want to get this over with because I want to watch the ending of this Boston Indiana game. Even though, and I'll get to NFL head coaches in a second. The one of the great things about um. Being out here on the West Coast, the TNT games, they they show the early game, they show the late game, and again, the late game is uh, Philadelphia and Portland. Not interested in that, especially since Embiid isn't playing. But the great thing is that they show the replay of the early game at like 10 30, 10 o'clock sometimes out here, Pacific Standard Time, which is one o'clock in the East Coast, and if you're, you know, it's a Tuesday night. So if you gotta wake up at five or six or seven in the morning to go to work, you ain't you ain't watching the early TNT game at one o'clock in the morning. The game between Boston and Indiana is the barn burner. Tyrese Halliburton doing a thing. I want to see Pascal Siakam how he fits in since he was traded to the uh, Pacers. Taking a look at the best team in the NBA, the Boston Celtics. So I'm gonna have the opportunity tonight to watch the replay of the game and still get a decent night's sleep. Because the replay will be on at uh, 11 ish, and I don't get to sleep most nights until one one thirty anyway. So there you go. So I don't know how I got to that subject, but basically, I want to save everything in terms of my love for my 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 speaking of the uh, NBA on my next podcast, which will be coming out in a uh, in a couple of days, and it ain't going to be over an hour and a half. <laughs> People are sitting up there talking about, God damn, this motherfucker can ramble. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. But I thank you for listening to my rambles. I appreciate it. God damn it. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. All right. All right. right. Um, Yeah. Um, The NFL, the hiring season for them is almost over. Teams that went into the offseason looking for head coaches, Tennessee, Atlanta, Washington, Seattle, the Chargers, New England, Carolina, and Vegas, for the most part, it's almost all done. Um, Washington, Seattle have not filled their coaching vacancies, but New England hired Gerard Mayo. Then Las Vegas took the interim tag off of Antonio Pierce. The Chargers made the biggest name hire, I guess you could say, in Jim Harbaugh, right? Biggest bringing excitement, relevance to a team that had neither in the market that they're playing in. They are the Clippers, while the – they are the Clippers, while the – um Los Angeles Rams are the Lakers. The, the Chargers are the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. While the Los Angeles Kings are the LA Rams, so you get my drift, right? Um hey look, the track record for Jim Harbaugh can can't argue with. Track record of turning around teams, turning around franchises are unquestioned. Took Stanford, took them, took them two years. From being mediocre to uh, being a major bowl team, top ten team. Then he went to San Francisco. They were six and ten the year before he was hired. It led them to t- thirteen wins in year one. Then the Super Bowl the next. The situation in terms of replacing Alex Smith with Colin Kaepernick um, at Michigan. He took a team that was five and seven in 2014. Went 86 and 25 over the next nine years. The NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported Monday that the Chargers are also expected to hire Joel Horwitz as their new general manager, who had been the Baltimore Ravens player of uh, director of player personnel since 2019. So they've got everything in place in terms of uh, the infrastructure. It'll be interesting to see what Harbaugh is doing. It will be. When you, when you take a look, look, I, I have no doubt um, that he will be successful as the Los Angeles Chargers head coach, what does that mean? I'll leave that up to your imagination. I'll leave that up to your definition. I don't know right away if he's going to be able, and I'm speaking about right away as in two to three years, I don't think that he's going to be able to put the Chargers in a position to win the Super Bowl. I think when you're speaking about a team like the Chargers, who are about $59 million over the cap, when you're speaking about some of the deficiencies that they have, um, his work with quarterbacks, what he did with Andrew Luck while he was at um, while he was at uh, Stanford, he put an unknown Josh Johnson gave him an NFL career when he first started his coaching career at the University of San Diego. You saw what he did with Colin Kaepernick. You saw what he did when he was at Michigan. Um, so there's, there's no doubt that Justin Herbert is going to uh, strive or be the benefit of Jim Harbaugh and what he can do. It's just going to be interesting to see what the other team, in terms of the other other parts of the team, is going to be like. He's a good evaluator of coaching talent. So I'm quite sure as far as offensive and defensive coordinators are concerned. His culture is very good. The players seem to love him. His only deal is trying to get along with his bosses. The players love him. His coaches love him. The people who sign his paycheck eventually can't stand him. So this is a situation where I, I think at 60 years old, maybe he's grown, and maybe he's matured. And also at Michigan, he was also humbled. So th- there were some situations while he, when he was at Michigan where, hey man, it, it, it wasn't going the right way. It wasn't going the correct way. There were many people, I mean, we, we all see it now differently because of what he's done over the last uh, three years, But there were some times before that he got really rocking and rolling and hired Shamir Moore for him to uh, be the tight ends coach and then be the offensive line coach and then be the offensive coordinator and eventually now replace him as being the head coach. But there were some times uh, early on when he was losing to Urban Meyer and Ohio State and losing to Ryan Day and Ohio State and and losing in bowl games and losing to TCU and the uh, playoff game. I mean, there were some times where it was like, hey, we're, we're not too happy with Jim Harbaugh you you put on top of that some of the dealings that he's had with the NCAA uh, the NCAA some of the penalties some of the consequences of his actions with the NCAA caused him to miss some games this season for the squad I mean so it wasn't it wasn't smooth sailing like the Isley brothers because anything that you want from me is not mine to recognize so when you speak about now a situation where there's been some humbling of Jim Harbaugh Maybe that'll ease some of his quirkiness, some of his immaturity, some of his competitiveness going going above and beyond or crossing that line. Maybe it'll cause him to be a better employee, but in a more mature way in terms of channeling his fire, channeling his competitiveness and working with those above him. So I don't know. He's 60 years old now. So maybe he's mellowed in that regard to get better, to become more mature. I also believe that this is his best chance uh, to uh, get back to the Super Bowl. I think it's a situation like this where you're 60. Hey, man, it's not like, well, you know, I can go four or five years here, burn my bridges, and then get another job and put myself into a better situation. I don't know. This might be a situation where it might be Jim Harbaugh's last opportunity to coach in the NFL. I don't know if he wants to coach 8 years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. I guess for Harbaugh, once you reach over 60, I guess for those who are listening to this podcast and you're over 60 years old, I guess what? It's like a year-to-year proposition in terms of how much longer you want to work. But I I think some of the things that might have been a little bit concerning when you're hiring Jim Harbaugh, maybe some of these things, the age of the years that he spent at Michigan, some of the optical some of the downtrodden years that he had some of the other things that uh, he had to overcome to get michigan to where he was to get michigan where eventually they were didn't happen overnight like it happened in stanford like it happened in san francisco it took nine seasons for him to win a championship and believe me after year five after year six jim harbaugh was actively looking to get out of michigan I mean, this wasn't a situation where he was going to stick it out and uh, wait till he got them in the position to win a championship or to win a championship for him then to say, my work is done. Let me go ahead and go back to the NFL. No, this was a situation where Jim Harbaugh was kind of seeing the the writing on the wall and I guess maybe after year six was like, I'm ready to go back to the NFL. In fact, he would have been in the NFL this season if uh, he wouldn't have been such a prick while interviewing with the Minnesota Vikings. Because he went into that interview already with the attitude like, I've got this job. Now it's time for y'all to kiss my ass. And Minnesota was like, oh, yeah, we'll kiss your ass. We'll kiss your ass while we're kicking it out the door. Thanks, but no thanks. So we'll see if Jim Harbaugh has learned this lesson. But, uh, you know, I think that was the best hire for uh, Los Angeles. Again, I think it brings them some relevancy. It brings them some attention. And it uh, gives them the best opportunity. It'll always be a Rams town. Always be a Rams town. But uh, at least with Harbaugh, it'll make the Chargers a lot more interesting than it was, than they were before. So the, so the LA Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. Um, the Carolina Panthers hired 42-year-old Dave Canellis, worked 13 years as a Pete Carroll assistant in Seattle before going over to um, Tampa Bay, reviving Baker Mayfield's career. Before that, reviving Geno Smith's career. So basically, Dave Tepper, the owner of the the owner of the um, Panthers, were like, "Look, we got Bryce Young. We traded the number one pick this season for Bryce Young. We need Bryce Young to do some things, and Dave Canales is the guy who's going to be able to help him. He was hired because of that. He wasn't hired because of his play calling. I believe that he only had one year." Calling plays, and that was for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers last uh, last season. So this has nothing to do with his play calling or anything like that. This has been the work that he's done with quarterbacks, and he hadn't had the ability to work with top five quarterbacks or elite quarterbacks. This is a situation where, hey man, this this they, the Carolina Panthers. They got to make this work. You got to make this work in terms of the Bryce Young situation. This is a situation where the position that you drafted him. And the capital that you had to give in terms of draft picks to get him. If you don't get this right and Bryce Young becomes a bust. This is going to set your program. This is going to set your franchise back years and years and years. I don't give a damn who you hire. So they've got to make this work. The Tennessee Titans hired Brian Callahan from the Cincinnati Bengals. He has worked with Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow over the years. He most recently was the Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator from 2019 to 2023. It's been widely accepted, though, that he was that uh, Zach Taylor, one who want, was the one who designed and called the offense. But um, Callahan's primary role was executing the vision, organizing the protection and personnel to fit the scheme. Again, this was a situation where they're putting their trust in brian callahan to develop will levis don't know if that's possible but basically also to bring in a more modernized offense i think when you're speaking about someone like a mike vrabel and you speak about his personality you speak about his philosophy it was more of an archaic type of offense that was being run when mainly of what relied so many years on the running of um derrick henry and then just the defense to win football games. You take a look at some of the quarterbacks, the Ryan Tannehills of the world, really weren't up to snuff in terms of uh, them having that franchise quarterback to win them a Super Bowl. I don't know if Will Levis is that guy, but again, they're putting their chips all in the basket of Brian Callahan. And despite his his relative inexperience in terms of calling plays and doing other things, it's mainly his main job is to get right and direct the career of Will Levis toward a quarterback that can help them win not just football games and division championships, but ultimately conference championships and Super Bowl. Is that foolhardy? We will see. We will see. We will see. Uh, Let me see here. Raheem Boris, my guy. Been 15 years since he was hired as the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2009. He was hired by the Atlanta Falcons. He was the interim head coach for them in 2020 after Dan Quinn was fired. So for 11 games, he went 4-7. Way too young when he was hired, I believe at the age of 31, 32, to become the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was outside of the box thinking at that time by the Buccaneers. That was normally reserved when you speak about taking a chance, going outside the box. That's namely... Uh, reserved for, for white folks. So I will give the ownership of Tampa Bay at that time for giving Raheem Morris that opportunity to do so. He failed. It took him 15 years. But in those 15 years, he was progressing. In those 15 years, he was maturing as a human being, as a coach. During those 15 years, he had the opportunity to work with some really good head coaches. During those 15 years, he had the opportunity not only to coordinate, not only to learn, not only to gain knowledge from the defensive side of the ball, where he eventually became the defensive coordinator for the um, Los Angeles Rams, but also it was a situation where when he was with the Atlanta Falcons, he was also the tight ends coach, or he was on the offensive side of the ball in terms of coordination is concerned, learning from Kyle Shanahan. So this is a situation where, you know, Raheem Morris, where many people didn't think he would be getting the job, but when you're speaking about qualifications, he was more... Than deserving of getting an opportunity to become a head football coach again. So, look, you have Atlanta. I don't know what they're going to be doing at quarterback. Uh, the draft, where they are in the draft, I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, draft a quarterback that's going to be better than Desmond Ritter. Uh, but uh, they you've got Bijan Robinson. You have some skill players, Drake London. You have Kyle Pitts. In which you can, um, you 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 have some skill players um, that you're banking on, that you're working with. That have the talent that could be different makers. Raheem Morris' job is going to be able to see what he can do to build a staff around that to make sure that they can get that done. And again, with Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel, hey man, real quick because I know I got to get out of here, is a situation where it's like, look man, um, I don't know if these NFL owners today they want to be part of the process. You know, they want to have a hand in some things. I mean, what's one of the things with Robert Kraft? I mean, Robert Kraft for the longest. Was sitting back letting Bill Belichick do everything. And it was kind of like, you know, I, I kind of want to be involved in some of this. I would kind of like to have a say uh, in some of this. I mean, after all, I am writing the checks. <laughs> I mean, after all, I am your boss. So, I mean, it's a situation where it kind of like, after a while, you know, you get these some of these young owners. Or you get some of these owners. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to give all of my power. I don't want to give everything to, uh, to a coach. And when you have Bill Belichick who was interviewing for the job in Atlanta, and basically you had people you had people in Arthur Blank, the owner of the uh, Falcons, you had people in this here talking about, wait a minute, man, if Bill Belichick, if you hire Bill Belichick to become a coach of this team, I'm gonna lose my job. Because with Bill Belichick as the coach, y'all ain't gonna need me. He's not gonna need me. Bill Belichick over the years has shrunk his inner circle of people that he trusts To the point where it's like, hey, look, man. You know, you got Josh McDaniels. That was one of his downfalls. I mean, when Josh McDaniels went to coach the Raiders, so instead of going out and getting himself a young offensive coordinator or getting himself a Ben Johnson or getting himself a Callahan or getting himself something like that to make it a little bit more innovative, he stuck to his inner circle and put a defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, at the offensive coordinator. So the people that he has been dealing with, the people that he trusts, They've either retired or moved on somewhere else. So if I'm Arthur Blank and I have to give up all of this power, all of this control to a 71-year-old who I don't know how much longer he's going to be coaching, and I don't know what his intentions are. I mean, you talk about building culture. You're talking about building a plan. Well, it's going to take Bill Belichick a couple of years just to, just to, just to uh, do that. The first year is going to be doing nothing but evaluating and tearing down. It's going to take him at least one season, wherever, no matter where he goes, to put in his philosophy, to put in his routine, to put in what he wants from his not just his players, but from others in the organization. So that's going to take one or two years, even just to lay the foundation to start the process of winning a championship. Now, I know D'Amico Ryan and there's been some other examples that have expedited that process. But what makes you think over the last couple of seasons that Bill Belichick, if this is true in terms of his lack of trust, the way he still wants to do things, what makes you think that that's going to be able to be done in a couple of seasons? It's not. So all of a sudden now we're going to be paying Bill Belichick big money to come in for what, maybe two to three years? Get things to be just good or mediocre? He's going to retire once he gets the coaching record and then we're going to have to start all over again? So, yeah, man, if you're Seattle, I don't want to do that. If I'm Atlanta, I don't want to do that. If I'm Washington, I don't want to do that. So, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see moving forward. All right, I'm out of here. I'm done. Like I said, my NBA podcast, in terms of what's happening, is going to be coming up next. So, it's been almost two hours. Let me get on out of here. Please, ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor, will you, huh? Come on, man, be good to each other. I don't give a damn about which God you believe in. I don't give a damn about your race. I don't give a damn about your gender. I don't give a damn about where you came from. I don't give a damn about how much money you have in the bank. I don't give a damn about who you love. I don't give a damn about which God you worship. Is you worship a God at all? I don't give a damn. I don't care. The only people I want in my life are good people, are loving people, are people who empathize, who sympathize, who you can trust, and who care for you. That's it, man. And if we can get, if you can get people in your life like that, Who gives a damn who they worship? Who gives a damn who they love? Who gives a damn where they're from? Who gives a damn what color they are? Who gives a damn what their gender is? Love, peace, unity for one another. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I need to hear a symphony. I need to hear a symphony. One of my favorite songs of all time. Get me out of here with that. With some music.